Aloha! This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Brad and Lisa Gullickson from the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Now let's get started. Brad and Lisa, welcome to the show. Yay! Thank Thank you, you, Jason. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Oh man, we're we're doing great. We uh, actually not too long ago finished recording an episode, or actually an interview for an episode ourselves. Every time we record an episode, it leaves us feeling like a little jazzed, and so this is a nice little come down from that that episode. Hopefully, yeah. Okay, so um, so I'm gonna so so for our listeners, just to give a little bit of a history, is that um that we're Twitter friends. We follow each other, you know, on Twitter. You know, we. You know, I know you guys post incredible, you guys post nice pictures of your guys walk in the woods, but also you guys post incredible pictures of, oh, you're going to have to correct me on this one. You guys posted a picture of a commission from Ramona. I can't remember. Oh, Ramona Freyden. Yeah. yeah. That was a cool one. Prized possession. We just got a new commission from Stan Sakai that we're super stoked about. We've only just started purchasing commissions during 2020 and 2021. So it's like a new addiction, a dangerous addiction, but one we're very excited about. <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to, um, so, and then, so like I said, you know, it's like, you know, um, I wanted to bring you guys um, on the podcast, interview you guys for the podcast, is because, you know, I've listened to a few of your episodes, and what I really love about the episodes is that it's, your guys' episodes are so upbeat. It's, there's a lot of positive energy in the show, you know, and, you know, that's what I love about it, you know. Um, Also, too, before we start, um, I'm going to let listeners know, you know, um, we're going to, this is going to be a very fun episode. You know, we'll have a bunch of laughs, great stories to tell. Um, also, too, I sent um, Brad and Lisa the questions um, for them to answer. Um, because, you know, it's just, just in case I don't want some listener to go, I can't believe Jason asked that question, you know? And, <laughs> and plus, we're buds with Jason. So, uh, so we don't mind answering his questions and sharing our lives with you. That's part of the fun of being into comics and being into podcasts. Oh, but thank you very much, Lisa. Okay, so the first question: promote, um, let you know, promote the podcast. You know, you want to take it, Lisa? Sure. Well, the podcast that we do is called the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, huh? and it is a beautiful marriage between comic books and self-helpy type stuff. So what we do is we take an iconic comic book couple mm-hmm. like S- Scott Summers and Jean Grey. And we pair them with a relationship book, like the five love languages. And we apply the five love languages to their relationship as a means to talk about and help our relationship. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. And then where can followers follow you guys on social media? Well, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us CBCC Podcast. Um, of course, you can follow Lisa's individual account at Sidewalk Siren. My account is at Mouth Dork. Um, and, and, you know, you can find everything Comic Book Couples Counseling related on ComicBookCouplesCounseling.com. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start off origin story. So whoever wants to start off first, where did you guys grow up? 
well, I'm the oldest, so I think I should go. That's fair. <laughs> My story began before yours, Lisa. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was born in Long Beach, California. But my dad was Navy, so we moved around the country quite a bit, um, went all up and down California. We settled for probably the longest time in San Diego mm-hmm. uh, until I was about 10 years old. And then my dad retired from the Navy and moved the family to Virginia. And it was in Virginia where I became a comic book fan. Uh, and I've been in Virginia since the early 90s, for the most part. I was also born in California, though much later than Brad. I am much <laughs> younger. Just joking. Um, um, but uh, we moved to Virginia uh, when I was like two and a half. And we've lived here for literally forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, again, any of you guys, whoever wants to start off. What drew you guys into comics? Uh, for So I moved to uh, Virginia. We moved to Burke, Virginia, which is not too far from Washington, D.C. And I had a lot of trouble connecting with friends. School was very hard. Uh, we moved, of course, like in the summer, as you would with a kid. So, you know, there wasn't even like the classroom to... Uh, connect you with other children. And I, my dad took me to Burke Books and Comics in 1990. And I had never been in a direct market comic book shop in my life. Mm-hmm. But when we walked through that door and I saw the wall of single issues, and then there was like the back of the comic book shop that had all the long boxes. And uh, I... I immediately became attracted to that and my eye gravitated towards recognizable titles. So, you know, I was a big movie kid. I was a big star Wars kid, GI Joe, uh, transformers. And so my eye went to all of those comics and through those comics is when I discovered, you know, Superman and Batman, Spider-Man and the Avengers and things like that. And, um, I didn't get into, into comics, Mm -hmm. Uh, until what some would consider late in life in my twenties growing up, I was into, uh, Disney movies Mm -hmm. and Nick at night and Steven Sondheim musicals. So I had my own little nerd thing going on. I was actually, uh, a huge monkeys fan when all of my little friends were into like, I like NSYNC. And I like 98 Degrees. I'm like, do you know who is cool? Uh, the Monkees. They are my boy band. Wait a and- minute. Lisa, <laughs> sorry. So, wait. Let me, let, me, let me get this straight. So, now I also want to make it clear to, because I'm sure in case some of our listeners are young. So, the <laughs> Monkees, we are talking about the 1960s TV show with Davy Jones. That is correct. So growing up, I was not allowed to watch Nickelodeon, but Uh I was allowed to watch Nick at night. So um, I would wait up anxiously. And then the summer in between sixth and seventh grade, they uh, had a Monkey's Monday. Uh And I saw uh, Mickey Dolenz for the first time. And my heart went a flutter mm-hmm. and I headed over to the Sam Goody and I started buying all of their CDs 
And I was just dreaming of just going back in time and marrying a monkey. And uh, that is how he entered high school. So a uh, real popular kid. And, and then uh, when I went to college, I discovered that I was into nerdy guys. And so um, as a means of wooing said nerds, um, I, I was dating a guy who was into comics, kind mm -hmm. of. So I read Watchmen mm -hmm. and I read Sandman. And, uh, and yeah, so that's how I got into comics because I, I wanted to date nerdy guys and it worked because I married one, a huge one. Yes. Um, Lisa, sorry, I'm sorry, Brad, I'm going to go back. So Lisa, because when you talked about that period of the monkeys on Nickelodeon, not, I'm trying to remember this because that was sometime in the nineties, right? Because I know they were, they were replaying those episodes and I, yeah. Oh, it was God. literally like 19, I, it would be, I'm pretending like I don't know the exact year to seem cool, but <sighs> it was um, 1996. Yeah. And literally it was for a few weeks yeah. and then it was replaced by Green Acres Mondays. <laughs> and even to this day, when I hear the Green Acres theme, <laughs> literally rage pulsates and radiates through my body because they would play it on a loop. So they would play the monkeys starting at like 8 p.m. or something. Yeah. And then they would play it again at like four in the morning. So uh -huh. I would just stay up and watch the same episodes twice. And it would be like six episodes. And then they started releasing um, the episodes on VHS. Yeah. And so actually, um, behind me, I do have one of my best Christmases ever. My parents gave me the whole VHS box set of all of the monkeys episodes. And I was literally, I was beside myself with joy. I was like, the Christmas spirit is real. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just want to, yeah. I and, love the monkeys. And, and to this day, if we were talking Lisa's true passion, her true passion is the monkeys. Mm -hmm. I do love them so much. Yeah. Yeah. I collect uh, monkeys comics because they they did put out comics in the um, late sixties. Oh, okay. Yeah, the um, Dell stuff. Yeah. Couple things. Sorry, sorry, Brad. So, couple no, that's all right. Have you met any of the monkey actors? Because I know a couple of them. I think two of them passed away. Yes. I don't, yeah. I I only met Peter, and um, and he did recently pass away, and so I'm so glad that I had the opportunity. And uh, I waited in line. I was there for this one. And I had and I had my phone so we could get a picture. And uh, I passed the phone to Brad, mm -hmm. and I was just so giddy. And uh, and Peter could clearly see that I was just too excited to meet him. And he goes like, "Who's that guy over there taking the taking the pictures?" And I said, "Oh, that's my husband, Brad." But I would happily leave him for a monkey. Um, and Peter uh, declined, of course, because he's a god. <laughs> but next to him, I did look radiant. I was not hurt. I was not hurt. <laughs> it was the only thing I knew Lisa was going to say because her monkey's passion knows no bounds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to continue on. Thank you, Lisa, for that story. Um, because I do want to touch, touch up on your um, trying to collect the um, monkey's comic um, a little further in the um, interview. Um, sure. So, um, um, Lisa, I know you said that the Watchmen and the Sandman were your, like, were your first comics. Brad, what was your first comic book? 
Uh, I bought two on that day. I went into Joe Gumbinger's store in Burke, Virginia. I bought two. One was G.I. Joe number 103 with Storm Shadow busting through a skylight. Um, it's like the, the, the hero version of Storm Tra- Shadow, not his like Cobra outfit, but mm-hmm. his like Joe outfit. And, uh, you know, written by Larry Hama. Uh, mm, I just looked it up. I think it's Michael Bright is the illustrator on it. Okay. Anyway, like, I, you know, I was way into G.I. Joe. So that was going to be the first comic I bought. But on that day, I also bought the Marvel Comics adaptation of RoboCop 2, which was like, I think, three issues that they collected into a trade paperback. So I bought that trade paperback. And, you know, I was a movie maniac, but I was still too young to watch R-rated films. My, I, was, I was slowly, like, breaking my parents down on a few R-rated movies at that point. Like, they had let me see, um, I think uh, I had seen Commando, the Schwarzenegger film by that point. Yes. But RoboCop was still, like, too much. Mm-hmm. And I, so, but I knew, but I wanted to see RoboCop. Uh-huh. And if I couldn't see RoboCop, I could at least buy the comic book. Uh-huh. And the comic book, uh, you know, from Marvel, I read that thing to pieces. Uh-huh. I wish I still had a copy. I should buy a replacement. Yeah, you should. I have the G.I. Joe comic still, but I don't have that RoboCop 2 uh, adaptation. Uh-huh. And so, like, I, I really do cherish those. And, and, but what was interesting is, like, you buy those two issues and we, we had to leave. Uh-huh. But... I felt the draw to come back to the shop and my dad had been trying to get me to read. I was very slow to read and you know, he would, we would go to bookstores and he'd buy me whatever book I'd want because he was really trying to encourage. And when he saw that I liked these comic books so much, he said, well, we should go back to the shop. Let's go back to the shop. And like every weekend, my dad would take me back to Joe Gumbinger's shop and I, he, he would buy, you know, three comics for me. That's nice. And uh, that's when I got, you know, I, I think by that point it was Eric Larson on Amazing Spider-Man. I can't remember the number, but it's the Venom Island mm-hmm. uh, issues. And that run of Spider-Man comics made me a Spider-Man fan. And then, you know, it just, it just snowballed like it does for so many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, I'm going to ask... Um, during your college years, did you have an LCS? We, I did. So my, I went to George Mason University, uh-huh. and right across the street, there is a comic book store. I'm pretty sure it's still there. It it's, is. It's, it's had changed a hands. couple of, yeah. it's changed hands. It's had a couple of names. Uh-huh. I think at the time, it was called Phoenix. Uh, yes, yes. And yeah. I actually had a really negative experience there. So... I want, I had, you know, since broken up with that guy, but I still was in love with comics and I wanted to learn more. So I started going into the comic book store and I would just kind of quietly like pick up a couple of single issues and, you know, buy them and then go to the deli and eat a sandwich and read my comic books. And, but I really didn't have any guidance. Like I was just kind of just going whatever. And, um, Finally, I said, like, I think I saw that they had the sheet for opening a box out. And I was like, oh, you just need five titles and you can have a box. And so I went up to the guy and I was like, hey, um, I'm really interested in opening a box. And he goes like, oh, I 
you know, you really have to be into comics to open up a box. You have to be into like five or more titles. And it was such like a, like, it was such like a gatekeepery kind of thing where I, like, it felt like he didn't want my business. And so I just kind of, uh, I tried to continue going back, but I just stopped. Um, so I, gross. I it, hate that it, story. Yeah. So, um, so then I just continued buying stuff from like just Barnes and Noble yeah. is what I would do until, you know, now Brad and I have a really nice local comic book store that we went to all of the time, but like comics is not always the friendliest place for noobs for me. It's such a disappointing like story to hear. And as somebody who has worked in a comic book shop and who uh, worked in Barnes Noble for a long time, the yeah. idea that somebody would come in and say like, I would like to open a subscription. A hot chick. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> ever be so humble, but she's right. Um, and, 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 and to say like, I don't know if you're really going to be wanting this. I don't know if you like this enough. It may, it like boils my blood. I've heard this story so many times and it makes me so mad. And he's heard it many times because I never forget and I never forgive. No, no, oh no. God. They have changed hands and it is a much better shop to Day than it was then. Yeah, uh, now it's a uh, laughing ogre. No, it it's, it, it was laughing ogre, and now it is the amazing comic shop. Oh, okay. oh my god, Lisa! I'm so sorry you had to deal through that because it's okay. No, because it's I <laughs> because um because I because the thing is I understand because back then in the 80s and 90s I understand the mentality you know, of comic mm -hmm. shops, especially direct market comic shops is because you go in there and it's, you know, and, you know, I'm, because I'm in my fifties. So I, I, you know, I, because I've been to comic shops in the eighties, you know, and it's all you see is guys. That's all it is. If what, if a woman walks in or, you know, uh, you know, high school, you know, whether outsider, whatever, yeah, it's either an outsider or it's like, wow, she's into comics, you know, it, it, it just throws us off. But, but I'm glad. And, but the thing is, um, what's really nice is that nowadays it's, you know, comic shops, comic shops, majority of the comic shops, you know, are basically is, is embracing everybody, not just female readers, but also families, kids, and so forth. So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've certainly noticed uh, a, a, a massive change in the welcoming environment of direct market shops since the nineties. Uh, you know, because like, I, I think, and, and I was guilty of this too, when I was younger is you felt like you were part of this club, this comic book club, and you were leery of, of, other people because you felt it was so special and you wanted to maintain it. You wanted to keep it special. And so uh -huh. when yes. it became popular or somebody walked into the store because they had just started watching the Mantis TV show, you were like, Oh, you're like, I don't know if you're yeah. going to be in the shop. And that's just, <laughs> like, it's just so not who I am now, thankfully. Yeah. And it's, it's like you're saying, it's not how the industry is and the comic book shops in our neck of the woods. Now, even that shop, has uh, progressed greatly. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. so, um, but yeah, um, yes. And I'm glad that comic book shops 
you know, have changed over time. And I think yeah. the thing is too that, you know, um, um, you know, and they need to, especially now they need to, you know, in order to save oh, yeah. business because now the internet is available. It's like, well, you know, I can go to DCBS to get my, co- I can order my comic through them cheaper price, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and like in the nineties, when it like, you know, that early nineties, there was so much of an influx of uh, the, the speculator market. Yes. You can kind of understand why some people were skeptical of people coming in and wanting to buy like 20 copies of some chromium cover or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but now like that market doesn't exist. And, the industry needs every hand and dollar that wants in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm sorry. I'm going to continue on. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Where am I? Um, so um, while you guys were growing up, um, Brad, I know that you said that you're, you, you're reading Spider-Man. You got into Spider-Man. Lisa, I know you said that, you, um, you're watching, uh, you're reading Watchmen and um, Sandman. What were you guys watching? What other comic book series were you reading? Um, what and what other things were you guys collecting while you guys were growing up? You know, you know whether it's in you know from elementary school, high school, college, young adult. Um, collecting like as a kid. I mean, it was just. A- it was just the monkeys <laughs> and um, uh, tiny tea sets. I did collect those uh-huh. and I was very much into musicals. Um, then as I got, I was like, I'm one of four kids. Uh-huh. And so there's not a lot of room to really spread out and collect some stuff. <laughs> not like Brad, who is an only child. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he had th- two to three bedrooms in his own home. <laughs> full of, full uh-huh. of his collections. Um, then, uh, I guess in college, I started getting more into movies, music, lots of CDs. Oh yeah. And I did, I, I was into, uh, music and I, I was also very much into stand-up comedy. So I would collect stand-up comedy, um, records and CDs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I would, uh, illegally download music in college. That was my college years. girl. Yeah. <laughs> And and now I'm collecting everything. Brad's really guide. He's been he has guided me into the world of collecting things. Yeah, I mean, because like I started buying Kenner action figures when I was an infant. Like like, or my parents started buying toys for me when I was like a really really young kid. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have photos of when I was like, you know, two years old, gripping, uh, you know, stormtroopers and what have you. And I never stopped buying action figures. There was like a brief period when we moved to Virginia uh, where I was like, oh, I'm a big boy now. I don't want to buy toys. But then I found another comic book shop uh, in Fairfax and they were selling vintage Star Wars toys so in middle school, I started rebuying the Kenner action figures that I had sold off <laughs> in garage sales. And so I rebought the entire Star Wars line uh, from the New Hope toys all the way to like the Power of the Force stuff. And then like Kenner or it became Hasbro started putting out new Star Wars toys in the 90s as a buildup to the Phantom Menace. And then, like, I just started buying all of those. And, like I said, Transformers and G.I. Joe's. And 
and you know to this day i'm buying marvel legends action figures i can't help myself i grew up kind of like in a conservative family so Mm. a lot of that like pop culture um yeah marketing just kind of whiffed me i didn't i didn't yeah. Like I watched Goonies as an adult. Like and, that shouldn't be a thing. My dad was a sports guy and he always wanted me to be a sports guy. And so we would go to like comic book shops because they would also have like baseball cards yep. and things like that. Uh, but my mom was a movie maniac. And so once my mom, like once I whittled her down and I was like, okay, I can watch the R rated stuff. Once I got her to show me Robocop and Rambo first blood part two, uh, like we bonded very much on film and science fiction and, and all of that stuff. And, uh, they, they eventually just let me watch whatever I wanted as long as we would have a conversation about it. Uh, and then my own parents don't watch a movie if it's not PG and they're in their eighties. So, (laughs) so I'm still not allowed to watch rated R movies according to them, but I'll sneak one every once in a while. That's right. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so like that, I've always been pop culture obsessed. Mm-hmm. And when Lisa and I got together, we started dating. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time she found out that I had purchased an action figure mm-hmm. and she thought it was cool. So cool. And I was like, oh, I don't have to be you know, like secretive about buying. Yeah you know, uh, uh, McFarland toys or whatever. And then like that unleashed the floodgates to where we are now, where like I I had been given permission by my girlfriend to let loose and I have let loose and she has purchased quite a few herself. But first off, Brad, I think that's amazing that you, you connected on your parents on different levels with your dad, not only that, Hey, you know, I know Brad loves to read. He loves that comic shop. Let's go to that comic shop. Hey, that comic shop has sports cards. Also baseball and also football cards because I remember that was big back yeah. in the 90s. And then with your mom, with her movies, you know, what's really great is not only did she, you know, she finally goes, okay, we'll let you start watching R-rated movies, but you guys have a conversation afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very important because so – I, uh, my dad would generally take me to the films, uh-huh. um, the R-rated movies. Uh-huh. And my dad did not like violent movies at all. He found them really upsetting and disturbing, but he would take me to go see them. And so we would go to From Dust Till Dawn. Oh and <laughs> I remember watching From Dust Till Dawn with my dad in 1995. I'm 15 years old. Uh-huh. And my dad would periodically look down at me disapprovingly. (laughs) And I would look up at him with a great big smile on my face. Like, I like all of this stuff that's going on in this movie. And afterwards, on the car ride home, he would lecture me about why the movie was bad. But he would also want to know why I thought it was good. And we would argue sometimes to the point of Brad crying. <laughs> um, and you know, his favorite word was the word gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But he never stopped taking me to the movies and we never stopped talking about the movies. Yeah. But, I really cherish that. No, but yeah, but that's, like I said, it's really great that you guys were, you know, able to express your points of views. You know, like I said, I, I just really think that's really awesome. Because yeah. I'm sure because I, I'm not a parent, I, you know, we don't have children, but same. You know, if, 
But if we had kids, I, I think I would have to talk to my kids to make sure that, you know, you know, this is a movie. Remember, you can't, you can't do this. You know, you have to remember this, you know, or, or you just can't let, you know. It, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this because um, my parents have been vaccinated now and we were able to like get together and, and have like a little like meeting not too long ago and been like so long since we had a meeting, like a little meeting. It was a lunch. Like, <laughs> like we're not getting business, but we were able to get together and Lisa had been asking me, why did my parents let me see all these violent things? Cause we had just watched together. Lisa had never seen the Sylvester Stallone movie Cobra. Oh yeah. Uh, and so we watched that the other night. We then went to visit my parents and you know, I, again, I have like a very vivid, I don't want to bore you with all the stories, but I have a very oh, vivid no, memory no, of yeah. watching Cobra as a kid at my grandparents' house. And my dad went to rent that movie for me and had to tell the guy at the deli, because it was a um, it was in England. My mom's from England. And so we were in England in Devon and there was a corner store that also rented films. And I went down there and I tried to rent Cobra and the guy's like, no, I'm not renting it to this 11-year-old or whatever. I was 12-year-old. <laughs> and I, I went and I got my dad and I brought my dad to the Devon corner store to Americans. And my dad's like, my kid, what's in this movie? And the guy's like, well, it's got blood. It's got sex. It's got adult themes. And my dad's like, he can handle it. So huh. we rented Cobra, went back to my parent or my grandparents' house. I watched it in my grandmother's bedroom on her bed. And the moment that movie opened with the ax gang, I was terrified. And, but I watched the whole thing, but I watched it through like closed fingers. And so Lisa and I are watching this movie and I'm retelling her this story. I'm retelling her like my terror at watching this story when I was a little child in England. And Lisa goes like, why did your parents let you watch all this well, stuff? Well, what makes me so curious is the fact that Brad and I, after being married for 12 years or 14, whatever, Lisa. 14 years, is like... Um, well, we've been together 14 our tastes have there are the Venn diagram of our taste is not a complete circle, but we're more or less just the same person. We enjoy a lot of the same movies. And I just think it's so funny that our upbringings are so different because like in my house, like the MPAA rating was like literal. Like you were not allowed to watch a PG 13 movie until you are 13 right. uh -huh. and you have to get some parental guidance. Um, we would actually uh, check um, our uh, diocesan newspaper to check to see if the movie we were watching was approved by the Catholic church. Oh my um, God. My my little brother thought that the Pope's job was to watch all of the movies. <laughs> so, um, so, our, so our upbringings were, are just so different. And I think it's so funny that despite our completely opposite upbringings, we grew up to be more or less the like, same person. Well, yeah, yeah, certainly like taste strange or what have yeah. you. But so we went and had lunch slash a meeting with my parents the other day. And Lisa asked my mom, like, why why did you let Brad watch Cobra when he was 12 years old? And my mom said, and I had not heard this story before, but she said she remembered me watching the news when I was a child and I couldn't stay in the room when a scary real life violent story was being told on the news. I had to exit the room. And my mom took that as he understands the difference between reality and fiction and that's why she said yes, because I found the news scary. 
I was like, okay. That makes sense though. I think that's good parenting. That is, no, but that's really good. That's, you know, because it, it, it like, and, and sorry, Brad, I, I don't, it, no, go ahead. I, I hope I'm not offending you, but it's really good that you're able to distinguish, you know, you know, at a young age, you know, what's real and what's not real. You know, I think, I think I, that I, kids, I mean, we don't have kids, but I do think that they're just tiny adults without life, I mean, life I, experience. I think it's different for every child. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was at, at a very young age and because of Star Wars uh-huh. and, and really Star Wars was the only thing that I had access to because it was so popular. You would have behind the scenes books and, yes. you know, little TV episodes or what have you. Uh, and, and I was obsessed with like Ralph McQuarrie's paintings. I was obsessed with Phil Tippett as a monster maker, mm-hmm. yes. putting the rancor together. Yeah. And so I carried that like curiosity all the way through high school. And I started reading Fangoria magazine, yes. things like that. And, and so I was always interested in how the fiction was made. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents saw that. And again, it reinforced the idea that I understood there was a difference between uh, a, a person really getting hurt mm-hmm. and Arnold Schwarzenegger throwing a buzz toss through a guy. You know? <laughs> oh, yes. I and and I because I remember I think that was the scene from um Commando. Correct. Right in the shed, right? He, yeah. he has, he's the in the shed, shed. there's nothing, and yep, the he's got the saw blade, throws it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Discus. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm gonna uh, actually you know what? It I'm gonna um, when you guys start to talk about like me um um you guys start to meet up on stuff, I'm gonna start asking the questions. Um can you guys please talk about how you guys met? Well, I remember the second I met Lisa. Uh, she doesn't. I don't. And, and the reason is Brad had mutton chops at the time. And I feel like mutton chops is the facial hair that makes you invisible to women. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I went to, I needed to get a job. And I applied for um, a bookseller position at Barnes and Noble in Reston, Virginia. Rest in peace, because that bookstore is no longer there. And Lisa was already working there. This was 2007, and uh, I got hired on. I was supposed to be part time, but they hired me on full time to be the bargain lead. I was in charge of all the bargain books at the Reston Barnes and Noble. And I took to that job fairly quickly. Um, like, you know, like I said, the first day I applied, I saw Lisa and I recognized Lisa. I was like, this person's cool. Um, and then I became the music manager after like three months. Mm-hmm. And then I got my own little like kingdom. I, I get to ran, run the shop inside the shop. Yes. And Lisa was one of the booksellers who would come in and help me um, scan the CDs mm-hmm. and uh, realphabetize and rearrange. And we hit it off while chatting in the music department. Is that correct, Lisa? That, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. But when do you remember seeing me in the bookstore? I, I don't know. I, like, to me, it started to be, become my routine to say hi to Brad in the music department. And I would always make sure that whenever I came and left from my shift to say hi and bye to Brad. Because the music department at that store was like, like this little box within the box on the far left. And so employees would pass it on the way to the, um, 
what do you call it when you punch in the, the punch in machine? Yeah. It's, we've been uh, out of retail for so long. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so people would always pass me, but Lisa would always pass me and go like, hi, Brad. And we had this big wall that I could barely see over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lisa would say, hi, Brad. And I'd see the little hand. <laughs> it's an exaggeration a little bit. But. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there was this like little group of book- booksellers that would hang out after hours. And Brad hung out with that group. And so I would join that group. But then it turns out that we were just hanging out with those those people so that we could hang out with each other. And we discovered that we could hang out without those other people. And then we did. And then we stopped. <laughs> we stopped going to that bar. And then we were dating. And yeah. that was that was how it happened. Yeah. That is so amazing because it, it's kind of nice because, Brad, for, you know, because Barnes & Noble, of course, I'm sure you've gone through their, their trade and hardcover section looking through you know, just your love of comics and read. I sold Kanye West, The Dark Knight Returns, Absolute Edition at that rested Barnes & Noble. That's correct. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Try me that again. What was that again? I sold Kanye West, Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, Absolute Edition. Uh, When he was uh, on tour, he, um, you know, we're near DC, so he was playing at the Staples Center that weekend. And uh, he came into our store to buy a ton of graphic novels and a bunch of magazines. And I remember, so I was in the music department, right? And my manager, Darlene, shout out to Darlene. Uh, I miss her so much. She paged me and she's like, Brad, Brad, Kanye West is looking at magazines. I was like, Darlene, Kanye West is not looking at magazines in the rested marginal. Brad, it's Kanye West. All right, hold on one second. Let me get somebody to cover my shift. And so I pulled a bookseller of lower rank to cover music department so I could go meet Darlene to see if it was Kanye West. And as we're rounding the corner in the history section, I literally bump into Kanye West's bodyguard, who was like this big linebacker dude. And there he was in a little hoodie. He had a hoodie pulled up over his head and he had a Frappuccino purchased from the Starbucks. And Darlene goes, are you? And he just raises his finger to his lips. He goes, shh, (laughs) where are your comics? (laughs) And then I took him to the graphic novel section and he bought multiple baskets of comics, including The Dark Knight Returns. And he left that Frappuccino on top of the graphic novels. He left and that Frappuccino spilled poured down all the graphic novels and we had to return hundreds of dollars of graphic novels. So he spent 300 and we ended up having to return 300. And yes, I kept that cup. (laughs) (laughs) For a little bit, he did. That's pretty cool. It was a weird day. That is the coolest Barnes and Noble story. The closest I have is uh, I did sell two Bibleopolis when Monopoly was coming up with all of those versions of Monopoly to huh? Joe Gibbs. Oh yeah. The, uh, the, the coach of the oh, Redskins. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Not the same. Laura, Gr- Lauren Graham from uh, Gilmore girls also used to shop there. Yeah. I wasn't there then either. Sorry. Oh, that is pretty. That is pretty. It's a while. Like I like, it's one of my favorite memories. Cause it was just so bizarre. I was so confident that that was no way Kanye West was in our store. And then there he was. Uh, and then so much else happened after that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
was, <laughs> like I said, I, I think it's cool that you guys, you know, met and fell in love at Barnes and Nobles. Your love for Brad, your love for reading, and Lisa, your love for music, especially for you to come over as from the book side to help Brad with the um, CDs. I, I mean, I loved Brad. I thought he was a very cool guy. I also really liked doing inventory. Uh -huh. So if there was a job where I got to just use the scanner, I was really excited. Yeah. I also like to be in, I like to receive books in the back. I, I like mean, the music the department was like such a special thing for a little while until the CD sales went completely away. But like, it was like my own high fidelity, you know, like <laughs> I ran that entire business and it felt like owning my own shop. It's the closest I ever had to owning my own shop and I cherished it. And it was fun, like when you would have employees like Lisa join you, because usually you only had the payroll to have one person in that department. Mm -hmm. But every now and again, you get a little extra payroll to do a project. And man, did I like that was like Lisa became my Jack Black for like a few <laughs> hours. It was so great. I missed it. Honestly, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I know you touched on a little bit. I'm going to ask the question. So, you know, and what I mean um, you, you touched up on a little bit where, um, what was your reaction when you guys found out that you guys pretty much almost had the same interests? Because I know you talked about the action figure part, you know. You wanted, like, I, like it, Lisa and I, like our earliest dates were centered mostly around movies. Mm -hmm. But I do remember like when the comic books became a thing between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but I think it's when we visited the Baltimore comic book convention yeah. that first time. And we went to various artist tables and got things signed. And I think that's where like, we discovered that we both really enjoyed comic books. Yeah. Well, Brad, when we were dating, like one of his first, like, okay, this feels like a test was <laughs> when he, handed over Hellboy to me. Mm -hmm. And like for a person who's not an extremely seasoned comic book reader, Hellboy can be a challenging read, I found. Um, but I really put a concerted effort into following the sequential storytelling uh -huh. and really enjoying and appreciating that book. And it turned me into a Mignola fan like right away. And Mignola always was at our, he was always at Baltimore. And um, was he, uh, I guess Awesome Con didn't happen until like later. No, and I don't think he's ever been at Awesome Con. Yeah, so, yeah. so our first stop was always Mignola's table. Mm -hmm. And I was just so stoked oh, to meet him. And then when we went to, we started going to San Diego Comic Con, we'd always hit up his yeah, table. Yeah, we'd always yeah. hit up his table too. Yeah. So, so um, I, even though I had read some comics, mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself a comics fan mm -hmm. until we started dating. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then early in our marriage, I was like, I'm living surrounded by, and like I had read all of the like ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, and you had read all of Hellboy by that And I'd read too. all of Hellboy mm -hmm. and I picked around here and there. But I was like, do you know what? I want to put a concerted effort into reading comics. So we started a comic books book club for just, it started with just people from Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I 
like that really kicked up my comic book interest and reading. So, cause we were reading a run a month, like at least one or two volumes of a collected comic. And the group was a group of curious readers, mm -hmm. people who were like Lisa, who had seen the movies yeah. and wanted to explore a little bit more. And so that was kind of like, the um, motivation for selecting comics. And when it started, I, I would pick the titles for the group with the idea of like, okay, you like the X-Men movies. What's an X-Men comic that we could pair with, with that love. And the first meeting was the astonishing X-Men, Joss Whedon, John Cassidy comic. And then like the next one was like, okay, you like Batman movies. What's the Batman comic. And then we picked um, Jeff Loeb and Tim sales, the long Halloween. Oh, yeah. And, then and that's where that I really discovered what I liked to talk about when it came to comics. Yeah. Like I love talking about the relationships and I love talking about um, their inner motivations. Like mm -hmm. I really read comics and I still do like soap operas, like yeah. deep character studies. And you tr like you treat, their actions like they are their actions not that they are being written but like that is what spider-man did this week the idea of continuity if you come to comics from like if you don't grow up with the idea of a character can cross over into another book like if you know all of the sudden there was like a ramona quimby uh you know prairie home companion crossover i don't know why i said prairie home companion i don't know why either but that would be amazing that would be wild like i like it just wasn't a thing that happened so like i just loved this idea of what makes the character the character Mm -hmm. transcendent of who's the writer, who's the artist. What is the essential person that is Spider-Man or Remy LeBeau or Abe Sapien? Like that's was just so fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And, and that really is what stoked my love of comics. And now I've been reading comics for like forever. 14 years, 14, 15 years. That's pretty good. That is pretty amazing. Um, Let's see. Um, how many years? Wait, so um, correct me if I'm wrong. So you guys have been married for 12 years, right? 12 years. We got married in 2009. Okay. And then we dated for like two years before yeah. that. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, okay, so and I'm let me at least explain a little bit of reason why the next couple of questions I'm going to be asking. You know, and the reasons why I'm going to be asking the next couple of questions because you know, for most of us fanboys, you know, we, you know, um, you know, um, you know, we, you know, we're comic book characters, but our wives are not, you know, <laughs> and sometimes sure. they'll, and, and I thank God my wife supports my habits. Yes, I am calling it a habit. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to any, you know, AA meeting or anything, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the other, but the thing is, but uh yeah but you know for you guys you know um i'm gonna start like asking you like um for you guys when you guys buy comics do you guys buy separate copies or one copy and you guys just both read it what initially we did buy two separate copies and part of it is because what initially i mean this is i'm gonna scandalize some of your listeners and i hate to do it but part of the reason 
I became interested in comic books in the first place, like going into the shop and going like, I want to open a box is I loved the idea of serialized media Uh that is disposable. Uh So you go in and you buy your floppy comic Uh and then you go to Ellie's Deli and you eat a sandwich over your comic and you turn the pages. And then if you love the story, you you keep it. And if you don't love the story, you toss it in the trash. <laughs> and so I did not, I did not grow up with the bag and board <laughs> mentality. And I am, I am like, I, I am a destructive entity. So Brad was a little um, shocked and appalled when he saw the way that I handled um, paperback books and floppy comics to the point where it just wasn't fun for me to share floppies with him. Um, but fair, that's fair. Uh, we, and, and for a little while we did do like, we'll buy doubles. We'll buy doubles. But you know what? That's not very financially feasible. It's not. Yeah. And so I have tried to, you know, hold back on my more monstrous, um, comic book handling habits. You're doing a good job. And, but also, Brad, I think that your relationship to your comics has also evolved. Yes. Uh, you know, I, as a 90s kid, um, was very much into buying and collecting comics with the idea that they were going to financially support me somehow in the future. So, you know, like I had all the polybag death of Superman comics that you Mm -hmm. could possibly have a long box of them. Right. Mm -hmm. I had every version of uh, X-Men number one Uh, and and they were going to be worth so much money. Every image comic, every Valiant comic. I remember buying Turok the dinosaur hunters first appearance within Oh gosh, is it Magnus Robot Fighter? I think so. Um, so I I amassed uh-huh. uh, a, a mass. I amassed a mass of comics, a ton of comics, uh-huh. and they're still mostly in my parents in, in long boxes. If we're all going to be real honest on this podcast, uh-huh. uh, but when Lisa and I got married, I my relationship with books changed. I did sell off some comics. Uh-huh. Uh, to pay for vacations and what have you. And once I started doing that, I really, like, I started to just, like, love buying modern comics, like Lisa's saying, and then going to a restaurant or sitting outside and cracking the spine and reading it while I was drinking or whatever. And honestly, I do very little bagging and boarding today. I work in a, I, I use, well, before 2020, I would occasionally work at uh, a comic book shop and they had these gorgeous spinner racks and they replaced them mm-hmm. and they were going to throw away the old ones. And I was like, I'll, I'll take those. And so I took a spinner and it's in my office and it's my favorite way to display comics. Is it good for those comics? No, mm-hmm. it's terrible for the comics. If you want them to uh, appreciate and value but it is my preferred way of reading and displaying now. Don't worry. I'm not putting like, you know, uh, old Jack Kirby comics in the spinner rack. If you're listening, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm putting like, you know, the latest um, issue of Usagi Yojimbo or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do really think about our comics as ours. We don't think about 
having our comic oh, so right. that it could be released back into the wild at an appreciated price. Yeah, and, and what I've started doing is I've started giving comics away to uh-huh. people who would like them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for our podcast, for our patrons, I'll even do care packages for folks and I'll put some really good goodies in yeah. there. The, some some odd stuff, you know, like the occasional weird Valiant Image crossover book, Deathmate. But I'll also throw in like a cool Brave and the Bold and, and some of the new modern stuff too. And he's learned to to accept that sometimes, just just like people, sometimes we hurt the ones that we love and we can't keep all of our comics in perfect condition all of the time. That is true. That is true. And like and like it, Lisa right now is reading through Invincible, uh, the Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, Ryan Otley comic, uh, currently streaming on Amazon Prime as a cartoon series. Yeah. And, you know, I love those hardcovers that Image put out of them. Uh-huh. And for like the longest time, like when I was real young and dumb in my marriage, I would be like, okay, Lisa, like I don't like to crack the spine. Uh, this is the way I like to read it. I like to read it's it at this angle. It's just not fun. Like how can you even read a book like that? Yeah. yeah. So I've let go of those um, more collectory habits. Yes. And now I just, I watch Lisa read Invincible and, and I just go like, this is awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, everything is ours. There's not like Brad's corner or Lisa's uh-huh. corner, Brad's yeah. books and Lisa's books. Uh, and I've just had to mature a little bit. No, but I think, but what's really nice, is, again, is that balancing, is that balance because, you know, for me, I still have the little bit of that collector in me, but yet, what, and, you know, I'm just going to be blunt and honest. Comics are being meant to be read. Yes. The that's thing, that's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Yes. Yeah. Comics are meant to be read. That's all it is. You know, who cares if um, Punchline appears, you know, in Batman 98? It's a comic book to be read. Right. Um, you know, um, and, and I'm going to tell listeners, you know, there's times where it's like, yes, I do buy two issues on some stuff because I think I'm speculating. But most of the time, it's just to be read and, and to be enjoyed, too, because, um, it, yeah, I mean, it's that's what it is it's just to be enjoyed yeah yeah yeah, and that's very much my point of view right now i i have not bought an a quote unquote old comic in a long time uh it's been years maybe even a decade since i bought a classic comic if i were to, to suddenly fall into a giant pile of Scrooge McDuck money, mm-hmm. I would probably try to fill in some gaps in my collection. Like I, like I, you know, I've mentioned Jack Kirby briefly, but like I'm a Jack Kirby obsessive. I would like to have, you know, all the Fantastic Four stuff, but I'd have to be like a millionaire to have all the Fantastic Four stuff. <laughs> um, and like Spider-Man, like I would love to collect that stuff, but I just, I just can't. I just oh, can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. My next question is, you guys first went to Baltimore Comic Con. Can you guys tell me, how, how did that come, how did, how did that conversation come up? Like, like hey, Lisa, um, you want to come with me to this convention? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean, I, think, I think it was like that. exactly like that. <laughs> it was exactly <laughs> like that. You know, like we were looking for things to do early on in our dating life. We would play putt-putt, we'd go bowling, uh-huh. we'd go to the movies. And then, you know, like when, I, when that Baltimore convention came up, that was a convention that 
uh, I used to go every year until like work started to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I cherished the Baltimore comic book convention and we went and like, I, we had a ton of fun, mm-hmm. but Lisa also saw that there is a different version of Brad when he goes to a convention. Conrad. There is con Brad who is a little more anxiety inducing maybe. Cause I have like a strategy there's, you know, I want to hit up every table. Yes. I want to do it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm a little anal retentive. And it took like a few conventions. It took a few years for Lisa and I to fall into a rhythm. Yeah, because it would just be Brad walking off into the distance. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have, like, I had never been to a convention before. And I really wanted to get in there and look around and, um, and, and I was engage yeah. with each of the you know vendors and i wanted to i wanted to flip through in kind of like a casual way through the floppies and stuff like that and um i really had to and brad he's like well if you just if you want to stop you should just tell me that you want to stop and i'm like well uh, i like that's just not like i shouldn't have to you should like i'm having to read your body language for where you would like to stop and so you should be also cognizant of me as a person and read my body language to tell when I, I want to stop and look at something. And like, it took years for mm-hmm. us to sort of like figure out or for, I would even say for Brad to figure out how to behave with Lisa at a convention. And it was because of the San Diego Comic Con. But then as I got more and more into comics, I had my own things that I wanted to do and my own right. books that I wanted to find and people that I wanted right. to meet. And so, and so what we do now is we usually, like the last convention we went to was San Diego, I think. I think right? it was. Like 20, was that 2019? Yeah, because yeah, then, yeah, because yeah. everything shut down in March. Yeah, so at the, by the time we get to that convention, you know, Lisa's got the things she's looking for. She's got the panel she wants to go to. I have my stuff. But we usually plan that out before the convention even starts and say like, okay, well, we'll spend this day apart and then this day together and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're not shy. Like, uh, we, we can split up and do our own thing. But and it come took back a while for me to even understand that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it, was, it took me a while to feel confident enough to operate in, in that space on my sure, own. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, Brad, your, your um, first impressions of your first, when you went to any type of convention, what, what was that experience of life for you? Well, my first convention was in Philadelphia, and it was probably like 1991. It was pre-Wizard World, but it was where Todd McFarlane was signing, and it was, we could probably figure out the year, because it was Spawn number two was out. Mm-hmm. And um, I went there because I didn't want Spawn number two signed. I wanted Amazing Spider-Man number 300 signed. So I brought that in my dad's briefcase, yes. his briefcase from work. And I, I just remember like walking around, like here's like this 13 year old, 12 year old kid walking around with a briefcase that had amazing Spider-Man 300 in it. And, you know, we went as a family. It was my mom, my dad. I remember my mom getting in line to get her photograph with Mr. T and they had the spawn mobile on the show floor. It was when Rob Liefeld had uh you know, that giant bad rock costume. So you could get in line and get your photo with the bad rock. Uh, but I remember being in line and it was Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson. 
and maybe like Hank Canals or something. There was somebody else there, but it wasn't any of the uh, other top artists. And I got to the front of the line and McFarland did not want to sign Amazing Spider-Man 300. He was only signing Spawn comics, Spawn 1 and 2. And I, like, I can't, like, in my mind, I really started to whine. I can't remember exactly. But in my mind, my memory, I started to whine. And my dad, like, said, like, oh, come on. And, like, my dad put on his stern voice, which, you know, my dad was a very jovial guy. But when he put on that stern voice, it was scary. And I imagine uh, McFarland just quaked in his boots and agreed. <laughs> and he signed my Amazing Spider-Man 300, which I have to this day. Nice. Lisa, what was your first reaction to the, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was the Baltimore Comic-Con with Brad. What was your first reaction to that convention? I just loved it. Like, even though I wasn't a comic book nerd yet, I was just like a baby comic book nerd. Um, I've always been a fan of being with people who are passionate about something. I am addicted to enthusiasm. I just love to see what makes people light up and get excited and get dressed up and make new friends. I just, I just love that. And I just, I really wanted to be a part of it. I love conventions. I'll go to a convention for anything. Let's be real. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we're we're desperate to go back to a convention at some point in the future. Yes. Yes. Soon. I I probably wouldn't. I'm going to say, I, I know I, I I'm same thing like me. I'm I'm itching to go back to a convention, but I'm for me I'm looking for next year, 2022. That's yeah. that's I think that's probably, probably us. Like accurate. we we yeah. um go like maybe if New York. I I just don't I don't see it happening year. this year, Lisa. Yeah, probably yeah. not. And and um, I'll be honest. It's like I cannot. I just cannot imagine if they do New York. For me, you know, it wouldn't be fun because you have to wear your mask. Yeah. You know, um, can you imagine trying to stand in line to get someone's autograph? No, sorry, six feet apart. Yeah, I I don't know what... It would even look uh, like. like. I don't even like thinking about it because I just don't know what it would be now. Because, you know, the largest convention we've ever gone to is San Diego. And San Diego at its, like, most populated on the show floor... You're on top of people, literally. You're, you're shoulder to shoulder. You're shoulder to shoulder with humanity. Uh-huh. And like And it's terrible and beautiful. It's, yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. Some people hate it, but I love it. I love being shoulder to shoulder with people. I love lines. I love talking to people in lines. Um, all the things that people say that are negatives about San Diego Comic Con, I see them as positives. Yeah. But what does that look like now? I don't know. And so I don't want to think about it. Yeah. I just I'm hopeful that we'll be able to go back in some capacity soon. How many conventions have you guys gone to together? I mean, a lot. It's hard to count. Um, We we like to generally, in a great year, we'll do Baltimore, San Diego, SPX, and though SPX also conflicts with one of our film festivals that we we like to do. Sometimes we would do Philly. Yeah, we haven't done Philly in a long time. Yeah, in a long time. But like Baltimore and San Diego were the comic book conventions that we tried to do on the reg. And like, there's San- a little. Uh, we also have um, Awesome Con now in DC, which oh, is yeah. like a little baby convention we, we, now. We, well, I mean, it's it's getting pretty big. It's awesome getting big, Con. but but uh, 
yeah, we'll we'll do Awesome Con. I forgot about it. Awesome Con, San Diego, and Baltimore every, every year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what was? Let me ask you guys. I'm going to start jumping. I'm kind of jumping around a bit. Sure. What was your guys' favorite convention moment or moments? If you guys got more than one, that's fine. Just go for it. You want to go first? I'll go. go first? I'll, I can go first. Okay. Um, so my very first year at San Diego Comic-Con, I wanted to cosplay. Now I'm not a cosplayer, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> cause I don't have, I'm not crafty, nor am I fit. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> You're not unfit. but oh, my, my first, crap. my first, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, I did cosplay as a monkey man, um, from the monkeys. I wore Mike Nesmith hat and a red unitard and i was a monkey man and it was the best but um the following year my mom made our halloween costumes and easter dresses growing up and uh so i was like i i got my mom to sew me a don greenwood from silver surfer the dance lot mike all red run dress and i bought the blue wig and the red converse and Don Greenwood is my all-time favorite character. She is the kind of character that I aspire to be because her superpower is just wanting to help people. Like, she is not, you know, she doesn't have any gamma radiation or mutation. She's just a human being who wants to help. And I just love that about her. And so, and when you cosplay as her, very few, only the very coolest people know who you are. So you're not really bugged a lot. And so, so it's, it's just the perfect, the perfect cosplay for a shy person. So I'm bopping around um, in my Don Greenwood outfit, having an amazing time. Uh-huh. And Brad goes like, hey, there's a guy dressed as Silver Surfer who's like, like the opposite of me he's like a beefcake like super jacked he, very muscle amazing even silver paint all over his body mm-hmm. um he, more of a jack kirby fan he had no idea who don greenwood was so is he a silver surfer fan i don't think so but <laughs> i went up to him keeping lisa <laughs> and so i went up to him and and we got a cute picture together and brad posted it on um twitter. on twitter and we had one of the editors from marvel tom brevoort tom brevoort was the one who saw it yeah yeah um i thought it was either him or was it um, alana alana I, I think tom brevoort saw it first but then alana made the connection yeah so tom brevoort saw it and was like this is amazing and alana reached out to us and said hey can we use your picture of you and silver surfer in Silver Surfer 200 because it's coming out. And I was like, yes, you absolutely can. Um, so all I need is you and Silver Surfer, the guy playing Silver Surfer's permission. And I was like, oh, he's a stranger. Um, so the next day. Um, so like this is at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, there's like 10,000 people there's there. There's more than 10. There's like 300,000 <laughs> people, people there. there. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. And um numbers mean nothing to me. Um, just a lot of people. And uh, so my, uh, the next day, our eyes are peeled. We have to find for the silver this surfer. And, um, and luckily, I have a good eye for abs. 
And that day he was dressed as Bobby Drake. Yeah, yeah, Iceman, yeah. And so uh, I ran up to him and I was like, hey, yesterday I was Don Greenwood. But anyway, Marvel wants us in their comic book. So would you just make a, a video with me saying that you give permission to use your photograph? And we took a little video. We sent it over to Alana. And if you find Silver Surfer 200 and you turn to the back, there is a picture of me with my full name and Brad's name because he gets a photo credit for taking the picture. Yeah, so my name is finally in a Marvel comic. So that, I mean, you, that's kind of an unbeatable story. It's a pretty good one. So you can tell your story now. It's, it's less cool. not as good as that. It's not <laughs> as good as that. Uh, like, like, I have so many uh, great comic convention stories and that's certainly up there. That's probably my number one too, if I was being honest. Uh, you know, like I think about you know, the, the various types of conventions, you know, you go to small press expo, it's a different type of audience. It's a different type of uh, talent there. Um, the last time I was there, I got to chat for a good portion with uh, Eddie Campbell, the illustrator behind From Hell, uh, the Alan Moore, Jack the Ripper comic. And he, he was so nice and he signed it and he drew a Jack the Ripper inside my copy of From Hell. And like, I cherish that thing. Uh, San Diego wise, I mean, like I I love going back to Mike Mignola's table every year, uh-huh. chatting with him, He's such getting a nice something guy. signed, buying a print. I like like that routine that 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 you you get by going back to your favorite people over and over again. Like I, I think that's just such a a unique and special relationship that if you're not in comics, you don't quite have. And, and, and it's hard to explain to people who don't do conventions, what that's like to, you know, return to your favorite artists and talk to them every year in a format like that. Um, and like, I'm trying to find, like, I'm really trying to find like another, like a gangbuster story like Lisa, but I just don't think I can. Mm-hmm. Um, not comic book wise, but movie wise at the San Diego convention, when Star Trek Beyond came out, yes. I, I was writing for treknews.net and they had got me into the IMAX premiere uh-huh. of, uh, 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 of Star Trek Beyond. With and, a full orchestra. With a full orchestra a and a light so show cool. played outside, but I only had one pass. Oh. and. I'm there with my wife and I'm like, well, I'm going to this movie premiere. And you, I had preview night tickets. So I was like, pre- I could have gone nights. to preview night, but you, but were, you were doing something infinitely cooler. You were like a little bummed out. And there was a massive line to get into this event. And I said, Lisa, I think if you just hang out with me, we both can get in on this one pass. And I'm like, I'm a rule follower. Yeah. I was super anxious about and it. And like, Ethically, <laughs> uh, it's probably not the greatest thing. And I shouldn't be like saying that I did this, but we did. And we got Lisa in. And it yeah. turns out there were actually lots of extra seats. <laughs> so we didn't take anyone's seat yeah. from the Star Trek Beyond IMAX yeah. premiere. But we got in and we watched yeah. Star Trek Beyond under the night sky with the cast, second row. Conan O'Brien was hosting. Nichelle Nichols was there. Uh, you know, the like Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, uh, Carl Urban, they were all there. 
doing the red carpet thing. And like, I, like, I just remember like turning to Lisa going like, we got it. We've got it. And feeling it like so we cool. had accomplished something great. So that's a pretty good memory. Even if I'm like, should I have done that? <laughs> yes, you should have. I feel weird admitting it. But like I said, like once we got in, there was like plenty of seating yes. for other people. But the, the chairs were so small, but I felt so guilty that I had snuck in mm-hmm. that like somebody tried to leave like a courtesy seat mm-hmm. in between yeah. us, like me and the stranger. And I was like, no stranger, sit right next to me, practically on my lap because I should not be here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got very comfortable with everyone that day. And that was great because like everyone in that front row, that front, those front two rows were like big time Trekkies like us. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, just talked, we just talked, it was just the whole the, time. The best. Yeah. And then the movie started and we were quiet. <laughs> and that was also like, you know, right before that movie came out is when Anton Yelchin passed away. Yeah. And so they had this very sweet and loving tribute to him uh, before the show where the cast spoke and they had like a little special musical tribute with the orchestra there. Then they did this light show to him and it was just very moving. And as like a lifelong Trek fan, it was was really really special. Okay, so I'm going to go off the cuff so you guys are. So you're a lifelong Trek fan. Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you a lifelong Trek fan? Nope. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Um, uh, I liked the monkeys. Yeah. Same era. 1966. Um, yeah. But it, I just didn't get into Trek either until, until we were married. But you're a big time Trek person. Yeah, now. now. And we argue over what's the best Star Trek it's series. It's DS9. No, it's the original series. No, but it's DS9. DS9 is really good. It's my like favorite. It. I do like DS9. Okay. Honestly. I'm going to tell you guys this. On certain days, I will say the original series, the first two seasons. Yeah. On other days, it's Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yes. And, and and that's where I am too. I I mean I love, I love all of them. Yes. Voyager is the only one I haven't seen every episode, Perfect. and uh, the only reason I haven't seen every episode is because once I see every episode, I've seen every episode of Star Trek, and I don't want that to be the case. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thankfully, they're now making new Star Trek, and uh, I'm watching all that stuff. Uh, okay. So, okay. So I'm going to ask you, Brad, what do you like about the original series? Oh, the original series. So I came to Trek with the movies, uh, the original crew movies mm-hmm. and, you know, Star Trek four for the longest time was probably my favorite movie as a kid. Um, and now it's probably Star Trek two. Uh, mm-hmm. if we're talking favorite movies. Um, and, and I like, I just adore that that cast and then next generation came out and i remember when that premiered and uh we were in california at the time and so we would go to universal studios we'd try to get in on tapings at paramount and stuff like that but we never did yeah um uh tapings as if it was in front of a live studio audience a tour a tour of the, the of the set is what i mean um and uh uh like i just always loved trek i didn't come to the original series until I was in college Uh after I was already in love with the films. Uh And what I love about that show is one, like Lisa saying the era, like, Uh like 60 sci-fi television, I think is just really, really interesting. The production design, the special effects, but that the, the performances from uh, Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner and DeForest Kelly, like, those three guys on that show, you just 
I just connected so much with them. Mm -hmm. And it was like this reverse engineering where I brought my love of them from the films into their portrayals on the TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I just had like an even fuller grasp of who they were as characters as I was watching the original series for the first time. And I think it's like, it's adventure. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's not perfect in its progress, you know, but like the, the, the basic idea of, of striving to be better, yes. of going out there and reaching for the stars, to exploring unknown regions, meeting new people, trying to relate to new people, even if they're shooting phasers at you, yeah. those pesky Romulans. Um, like, I love the philosophy that's behind the original series that is there in the films, and in certain films it's more prevalent than others. Uh-huh. Uh, I think like as much as I love Wrath of Khan, I think Wrath of Khan sort of made the film franchise about like, let's go punch this film's villain. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they just sort of fell into replicating the Khan plot. Yeah. Um, but then like you take it into Next Generation then, and DS9 in particular, where it really embraces the social conversation yes. in DS9. Uh, like that's what I want stories to be doing. Stories are reflections of our world around us and are speaking to our concerns and uh, you know, Star Trek twilight zone. Mm -hmm. That's like the best type of fiction. Oh yes. Lisa, what do you like about deep space nine? Um, so my introduction to Trek was my friend Chrissy was into next gen and um, to me next gen, everybody was just getting along too well like (laughs) and so when i got introduced to ds9 and there was so much more of the human drama Mm -hmm. like to see you know benjamin cisco struggle with parenting and self-doubt or you know um odo going like you know i have to learn to relate to others and i have to encourage others to relate to me and i don't even know what i am it like to yeah. me the 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 human drama was really what drew me into deep space nine and the fact that it was like it was leaning more towards having a story arc that goes throughout the season yes like where it wasn't because it wasn't so episodic the stakes always felt so much greater to me so, so DS9, really, I, it's such a special show to me. And then I would say that, uh, you know, uh, you know, the original series is my second favorite. And you've now watched, a, you haven't seen every episode of Next Gen. Because but, I have no patience for it. Let's but, be real. But I've curated the best episodes yes, of Next Gen. <laughs> and you have enjoyed Next Gen. Because we were building up to the release of Picard. And I wanted Lisa to have like a great understanding of, Jean-Luc mm-hmm. and uh I think I achieved that. And you I, did. And you did. And um we've since we've got we went to the Star Trek 75 in Las Vegas and that was amazing. And then later at Sundance Film Festival, I got in a fight with Scott Mance about uh Picard because I love Picard. Oh, okay. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just me yelling across the tents like, at li- Scott Mance. Scott Mance from Access Hollywood, 
uh, Lisa and Scott Mance are literally shouting at each other as we're passing through this tent line to go into a film. I can't even remember what film it was. And Lisa and Scott Mance are just arguing back and forth. And everyone is listening to Lisa and Scott argue about Picard. (laughs) But because um, I do believe that, like, I love the idea of the idic. Uh-huh. And I love the idea of we're failing at being better all of the time. And uh-huh. what makes humanity extraordinary and it, the, what will make us reach like the ideology of a Trek future is for us to try again. Yes. You know, it's our failures that make us better. It's not being able to perfectly be the cowboy or yeah. be the Vulcan all and of the time. And he was so upset by the path that the Federation had taken yeah. between Next Gen and Picard. But like the gen, like to me, the the idea of the Federation continuing to live inside Picard, just like you know our nation, you know, like like uh, Picard's Captain America. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like this idea of like. The Federation is not perfect. The uh-huh. idea of the Federation and the ideals of the Federation can be perfect. We just have to strive. We just have to keep the dream alive. I'm going to ask, how did you guys, how did you know, how do you know Scott Mance? Uh, uh, we, I, we literally recognized him from going to other conventions. So we actually, like, we actually met Scott Mance at that Star Trek Beyond okay. uh, screening and he had hosted it or he had done the Q&A with Michelle Nichols and then the next day we were in the dealer's room and then there's Scott Mance in the dealer's room and I was like, Scott Mance! And so we talked about Star Trek Beyond and then, what's that, like six years later, <laughs> we run into him and he's in line with us at Sundance. Lisa and I were working press uh, for that film festival together and uh that was just like a really really wonderful moment where they were arguing about star trek <laughs> i think i was right too i think that oh, everybody were, in that tent right. would, would have agreed right with me in, in, you know as far as i was concerned but i also understand what it's like when you love a thing and then that thing changes decades later yeah. and you're and especially when you're watching something episodic in star trek was not used like the the thing about the recent Star Trek stuff, Discovery, mm-hmm. Picard, yes. is that it is serialized. Mm-hmm. And yes, DS9 had elements of serialization, mm-hmm. but mostly the franchise of Star Trek for 50 years was this episode this week, that episode that week. Mm-hmm. And so when you get into Picard and you're not going to have everything resolved by the end of that episode, you don't get to see what Picard's arc is or what the Federation's arc is until you watched eight or nine episodes. Mm-hmm. It's weird for a Trekkie. And so I understood why he and others with Discovery and Picard were like, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. That's like what I think. I'm just going to put myself, I'm, I'm just going to compliment me. Sure. Do, do a it. little do encouraging, it. give myself some words of affirmation. Like whether it's Trek or movies or comic books, what I feel like I bring to the conversation is a lack of nostalgia Mm. because in my house, if it wasn't a PG movie or if it wasn't aired on PBS, I didn't see it. Uh So like I go like, I feel like I come to comics with a different perspective because I don't have that 12 year old 
kid who's like, yeah, but Spider-Man always does this. You know, like that's what Spider-Man is. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And and I definitely find that in myself sometimes where it's like, oh, I don't know if Batman would behave that way. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's kind of like, it's nice that you guys, again, you guys balance each other out. You complement each other. Because, you know, Brad, you know, your you're deep love for Star Trek, your deep love for comics. And then, you know, Lisa, you know, um, you know your, your recent love for comics, you know, within the last 14 years, Star Trek. And like you said, you, you don't bring all this baggage with you, you know, which and I'm, it's really, it's, it's very good. It really, it really, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice, for your relationship, it's a nice uh, Complement to each other. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think it's important for the fandoms, right? Like, if you want Star Trek to go for another 50 years, uh-huh. it has to outlive the original fans' lifespan, yes. right? Yes. And, you know, Batman's been around for 80 plus years. Uh-huh. And the reason he's been around for 80 plus years is because he's changed. Yes. You know, he hasn't been yeah. the same thing over the course of those years. Even though we all like, you know, like, like, well, Batman should be like the Frank Miller version. No, he does. He doesn't need to be like the Frank Miller version. He can be like Adam West. It's okay. Yeah. And you know, I don't have any ego attached to it. You know, if so, if I your don't. identity is not attached to it. Yeah. Well, now it is. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing the T-shirt. You know, but but um, I I don't have that little little kid inside of me who gets hurt when they see their hero do something they don't like i still do yeah you do. I do. i'm working but on it for i'm gonna say but for me it's i think what's for me is that um because my wife loves discovery you know mm-hmm. and i'm gonna say i still struggle with discovery because it, it's i it, it's star trek but it's not my it's kind of weird mm-hmm. but i have yeah. to say this when anson mount came on as pike i'm going oh my god that's my star trek but mm. the thing is, but I'm not going to, but one thing I'll never do to my wife is, oh, this is junk. This is not, it's, this is, if she loves this, I'm going to l- let her love it. You know, I, I, I enjoy bits. There are certain things in Discovery I love, but the other thing too, for me is no matter what, I still have my Star Trek. Still yet. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's the thing. You always have that. Yeah. And you know, like Discovery is not an attack on your yeah. love of your Star Trek. Yeah. You know, and the other thing too is that discovery is for this generation, you know, because 20 years or um, for example, when Phantom Menace came out, what, 1999? Yeah, 1999. You know, because I mean, us Star Star Wars fans were going, Jar Jar Binks, oh my God. But I hear stories of, you know, some kid whose first Star Wars movies was the Phantom Menace. They're like nowadays. They're like, oh, I love Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, you know, and it's it's it that, but that's it, it's for me. That's wild, but it's great because it, they love it. So I I agree, and I like I I was like you in 1999. Uh, so much anticipation, tragically disappointed, yes. hated the the new films. But now I look back and I see not only those kids who grew up on it and loved Jar Jar Binks and loved the clone troopers. I see what the Phantom Menace has birthed in other areas of the universe. 
the Clone Wars cartoon series is great. Mm-hmm. I love the cartoon series. That's some of my favorite Star Wars stuff now. And you're getting other people beyond George Lucas playing around with his ideas and characters, and they're contributing so much. And so you get to a point where you have stories about Jar Jar Binks within that show and possibly even future iterations where I will understand and like that character. Yes. As he was originally presented to me, I didn't know. I was, I was no thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, there's opportunity because there's so much uh, of a, because of the popularity of Star Wars, it's offered such a canvas for other people to, to play on, uh, to paint on. And, Comic books. Oh my gosh, Star Wars comic books. Yes, please. Give me all those. <laughs> all right. Sorry, guys. I'm going to continue on because I, I really yeah, went please. off track on the Star Trek and Star. Sorry, guys. Okay. I think I did that. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. Um, now, in De- December 1st, 2018, um, I'm going to start talking. I want to know how did you guys come up with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast? How did that come about? from idea, format, focus? Lisa. Well, we had already been in the podcasting sphere talking, doing a mostly movie-centered podcast called the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast that we do with Darren Smith and Brian Young. And we wanted to create um, something in our own space, and we knew what it, it was going to be something comic books, but we wanted to make sure that we had something, a different perspective on it. And at the time I was reading, I had gone down the rabbit hole of reading some self-help books. Um, Particularly, um, it started with the life-changing habit of tidying up where I learned that all of my things spark joy and I'm not getting rid of anything. And then I moved on to Gretchen Rubin's books, particularly better than before and the four tendencies. And I started thinking in those kind of modalities of self-help books and applying it just in casual conversation to the comic books that, that we were reading. And so I guess, and so we just went on a long walk and uh, we came up with the whole concept of, applying uh, self-help books to comic book couples. And we even came up with the title comic book couples counseling. And then we did nothing for like 18 months (laughs) and we sat on that idea. Uh, And we would talk about it, but then we were like, Oh, well we have to like get a new feed, a new platform, blah, blah, blah. We've kept finding reasons not to do it until um, we were like, well, why? What, what is reasons? literally the only thing that's stopping us is us. Yeah. And so um, we did our very first episode, which was Scott and Jean and yeah. the, the five love languages. And, and yeah. Um, just for our listeners, you know, um, I'm going to let them know that your first episode of for Scott and Jean was released on December 1st, two, um, 2018. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then just it for was, the listeners, how many episodes are out right now? It, the math is very sketchy because <laughs> we do a ton of bonus episodes 
And we also have been getting, we also do what we call creator corners, where we get to talk to really super rad comic book creators. Um, but I guess it, so of our standard format, we have 64 episodes. But in total, we, we have 94. 94, yeah. Yeah. Close we, to 100 We episodes. just recorded our 95th episode today. And that's not including our exclusive Patreon episodes. And then we have our Patreon, which is like another weekly show, which is a little more loose format, random. Like right now we're doing breakdowns of every episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on our Patreon. Okay. And then um, for just on the, I guess like for the regular releases how often do like new episodes come out so the goal is to have a new episode every week okay that's not necessarily always the case because lisa and i have other jobs that we have to do we have not found a way to make uh, comic book couples counseling pay our way in life that is the goal <laughs> uh, we accept all advertisers couplescounseling.com but yeah so the goal is once a week Oh, okay. If you don't mind me off the cuff, um, what do you and Lisa do um, for your full-time jobs? Just, just um, I'll go first because uh, my job is less glamorous. I teach <laughs> piano and voice lessons, and then I also sing weddings and funerals. So if you are getting married or dead, hit me up. I will sing for you. She just sang a wedding today. I did. Oh my God. <laughs> it's been a big day. Yeah. And yes, it's been, Lisa, it was a busy day for you because before we started, you guys said you just finished an interview you, for your show and now you guys are like literally winding down or, you know, <laughs> because your guys' time right now is almost... It's like, almost nine o'clock on our end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then, Brown, what about you? Uh, I do freelance writing. Um, I, I am... Uh, a columnist for filmschoolrejects.com. I'm the senior curator for the Twitter feed, One Perfect Shot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so that's, it's mostly movie talk over there. I, I mostly write movies, although I've started to do some comics criticism and that's pretty exciting to me. I'd like to do more comics criticism. You also do reading lists, which I think oh, would interest. Oh, for Film interest. School Rejects, yeah. I do reading lists. So like whenever they're like a new Marvel property or... Uh, a comic book movie comes out, I'll put together a reading list like, hey, if you're excited about Justice League, uh, the Snyder Cut, read these 10 um, DC comics. If mm -hmm. you're excited about Falcon Winter Soldier, read these 10 Falcon Winter Soldier related comics. I love putting those together. More of those. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Um, because you've already mentioned, because you guys do another podcast, correct? Yeah, that, that's One right. That's that? the... Yeah. That's the In the Mouth of Dorkness podcast, also known as It Modcast. You can find that on uh, Twitter at It Modcast, I T M O D C A S T, or In the Mouth of Darkness, In the Mouth of Dorkness dot com. And that's like a bunch of our buds, Darren, Brian, Lisa, myself, just talking movies. What did we watch this week? Let's mm -hmm. talk about Godzilla versus Kong, that kind of thing. We do interviews as well. Uh, and we did a lot of festival interviews. That's what we were doing at Sundance. Uh -huh. Lisa and I have had Bong Joon-ho on the podcast. We've had Takashi Miike on the podcast. Um, lots of really cool people that we can't believe uh, we're talking spoken to. Them. to. Yeah, yeah. So well, I, in the mouth of darkness.com. Okay. For those, I'm just going to go off the cuff real quickly. So was it easy to approach them 
you know, or did you have to like go through like, no, you got to go to our PR person first? Or? Yeah. Yeah. You go through PR people. So like Bong Joon-ho was at Fantastic Fest as part of the Texas Film Festival. He was promoting Parasite at the time uh, before it had released. And so you hook up with the festival they put you in touch with the PR folks okay. and then suddenly you're in a room for 15 minutes with Bong Joon-ho and you're like, okay, I've got 15 minutes to get the goods. Hey, I'm coming from the future and you are going to be very happy with how this movie turns out for your career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Um, but we were already fans of his before we had yeah, that conversation. That was so cool. And that was, that was a pinch me moment. We've had a lot of pinch me moments uh, doing film festival stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, in the mouth of com. please go give us clicks there. Okay. And then, you know, for either podcast, you know, what kind of preparations do you guys do for each um, episode? There's a lot more preparation going into comic book couples counseling yeah. because, um, Brad does more of the comic book side. He does all of the research about creators. He curates generally which runs we're going to do. I bring the history of the characters and the publications to every episode, or I try to. Mm-hmm. And then I take, I, I curate who our, our love, love expert. expert is going to be. And so I'm in charge of reading an entire self-help book alongside of reading whatever comic books. And then Lisa does so much more work than I do on comic book couples counseling. It's true. It is true. 100%. You you do do more work research because you read uh, an extra book for every couple that we cover. And then you like decipher and analyze that book. So and, that I can apply it yeah. to the comic book. And it generally works out really well. Yeah. So, but, but you do a lot of our social media, which, I, which I appreciate because that is not my bag, <laughs> which if you follow me on Twitter, you will see. You had a pretty uh, good tweet today. I did. <laughs> and then like when you guys have a guest on for the, um, for the, um, the, the CC podcast, mm-hmm. um, what kind of preparations do you guys do for guests? Like, you know, how do you go about trying to reach out to them and so forth? I mean, like the comic book side of things, we don't, we generally try to just reach out through them, through their websites or through their Twitter feeds. Uh, comic book creators are often much more accessible than film people. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so that, like, to what, what I learned when I uh, finally got, left Barnes Noble and tried to pursue writing full time. What I learned is if you just ask and put yourself out there, you'll be shocked at how many times people will say, yes, they would like to talk to you or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, offer you a, a movie to review or a comic book to review or whatever. So like oftentimes I just tell people just ask, ask as many people as possible. Eventually someone's going to say yes to you. Um, and so with the comic book stuff, we just started reaching out and, you know, we've had really awesome guests on there. Stephen Bissett's been on the show. Kevin Eastman's been on the show. Um, we just had Rob Williams, the Judge Dredd writer, on the show. And Lisa and I have very different strategies for preparing for interviews, no matter what the interview is. Uh-huh. I tend to just go in with Lucy Goosey, I would yeah. say. I'm very Lucy Goosey. I like to go online. I like to read previous interviews that they've done I will, of course, read the material and come up with my 
list of questions, which I put on a table and then I print it out. And then after I ask a question, I cross it out. Yep. Yep. Lisa, like she does with the regular episodes, doing a lot of research. She does it for all the interviews as well. And uh, you should have seen her list of questions for uh, Carl Stevens today, the author of Penny. Uh, it was impressive. <laughs> and that episode is going to be coming out probably within the next week or two? Yeah, it'll be out uh, Wednesday, oh. uh, which is what? April? It's April something. It's like the 20-something. It's, it's April 20-something. It's the future. Right. Yeah, it's in the future. Yeah. <laughs> or when people listen to this a year from now, it's in the past. Yeah, it's in the past. <laughs> All right. Um, what was the best episode you guys recorded? I'm curious to know Lisa's answer to this. I like if I were to say like, so we generally do our um, couples as four episode series. And I like for me, the Silver Surfer, Don Greenwood arc, those are like the to me putting that out on the Internet is like just giving the Internet a piece of my heart. I love those comics. I loved talking about about those comics. And we were able to cover the entire run of the Dan Slott, Michael Allred storyline, which is something you generally can't do when you're covering Scott and Gene, right? You, oh, yeah. like you have to jump around. Mm-hmm. So, so those are my personal favorite runs. Though there are little gems in there that I really enjoy. Um, we just put out a, a well, like a, a, a one pod stand uh-huh. where we didn't do a full series but we did just one episode about james howlett and hercules from extreme x-men and that episode was just so fun that's a great episode i liked it a lot i love those two two dudes and i want to watch them kiss (laughs) (laughs) my favorite episode of comic book couples counseling that we've done is our third usagi yojimbo episode we focused on miyamoto and lady tomoe and it was in the storyline Tomoy's story, uh, in particular, issue number 93 of Usagi Ojimbo, where Tomoy uh, creates the uh, tea ceremony and presents the tea to Usagi. And I think that comic is like one of the most bittersweet romantic comics I've ever read. Uh-huh. And I thought that it sparked a lot of really interesting conversation between Lisa and I about those characters and how it reflects back into our own relationship. So that episode is very special to me. Of our interviews, our Stephen Bissett interview is hands down my favorite. That's a lifetime highlight for me. I was like, like my heart was changed by our run with Swamp Thing. We paired Swamp Thing with Common's book, Let Love Have the Last Word. The musician turned biographer. And you would be surprised what Common and Swamp Thing have in common. And I I was really inspired by the idea of Swamp Thing constantly having to rebuild and reinvent himself. Like every time you see Swamp Thing, every cell in his body is different. And And I'm like, that's how I want to approach the world. I want to leave Alec holland behind i want to be able to be a new person in the present and so i just i and i loved his relationship with abby because he even though abby was you know to us humans you know unextraordinary she was just an ordinary person 
he really saw the beauty in her and he truly shared himself with her. Yeah, and so we did four episodes on Abby and Swamp Thing and then we got to sit down and chat virtually with Stephen Bissett, the artist of Saga of the Swamp Thing, who and, worked with Alan Moore and John Totalbin. And he is such a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you do a lot of research, you you can you can find like he has the stories of, that he likes to tell about that time in his life. But I wanted to get into Abby, yeah, and mm-hmm. that relationship. And I feel like we got material, we got information out of Stephen Bissett that that nobody else has gotten. Yeah. And um it took a little while. Like yeah, he, a like little he had coaxing. his basic, you know, the, his go-to stories about the creation of Swamp Thing, but once we got past that, we got some like legitimate uh exclusive comic book couples cons- counseling content. And it just things. felt like such like speaking about the love languages, I really felt like Stephen Bissett spent some quality time with us and it just it felt really special. I, that guy is so smart and he loves to talk about the thing that he does and he loves comics. You know, he doesn't just love his comics. He loves all of comics. He loves movies. And so we actually did two interviews with him on the same day. He gave us like five hours of his time wow. and we did one interview for In the Mouth of Darkness where he was talking about his new book, which was a uh, like a a dissection of the David Cronenberg film, The Brood. He wrote this 600-page book about the Cronenberg movie, The Brood. And if you've seen The the Brood, you would find that shocking. I mean, because like The Brood is like an 80-minute movie. (laughs) And he wrote a 600-page book. And you can get it from PS Publishing in the UK. I don't think it's available in the States yet. But it's, it's one, it's worth it to get this book. And two, to talk to him about The Brood. So here you are, you have this genius storyteller in Stephen Bissett talking about another genius storyteller. So we have that interview within the mouth of darkness. And then we're talking Swamp Thing and Abby over at comic book couples counseling. And I got done with those five hours and I was like, well, like I'm that's, that's it. I've, that's like the highlight. It's not going to get any better than that. Really? Yeah. It was was bliss. It was really great. Just real quickly for the listeners. Can you just explain, just in a nutshell, what is the movie The Brood about? Because I'm going to oh say, boy. I think I vaguely remember that movie. I don't want to spoil The Brood, so I will tell you what The Brood is about without spoiling it. It's a <laughs> 1979, 1980. Yeah, it's around that time. Yeah, it's a, it's a Canadian horror film from David Cronenberg, the guy who made The Fly in the Dead Zone and History of Violence, one of the best comic book adaptations. Um and it is about a husband who is concerned about his wife. She seems to be going off the deep end and she is uh, um, partaking in an experimental psychotherapy process that has disastrous results. And David Cronenberg is a, uh, a body horror type of director. So his movies tend to be pretty sloppy and gross. Yes. And the brood goes to some upsetting places. It's called the brood, so there's children involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there, while the, this couple is having marital distress, there is also a, a series of unsolved murders. Yes, happening yes. in their neighborhood. Right, right, right. And so it's about anger. It's about uh, you know relationships. It's about marriage. It's interesting, like to from the comic book couples counseling angle, because it is about the 
the price of penting up emotional trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, and it's a movie, like, when you watch it the first time, you're like, well, this is a pretty low-budget, uh-huh. trashy little film. But if you bring everything you've got to the movie and if you think about it and if you forgive maybe some of its budgetary constraints or what have you or its dated aspects um it's a really powerful movie and again like it spawns 600 pages from Bissette's brain yes. so <laughs> that i that i think right there validates that movie in a lot of ways i'm gonna start wrapping this up okay so i've got two more questions before we go into the fun question part um, and also, Brad, thank you very much for at least telling our listeners what the, at least giving us oh. a bit of what the brood is about. Because I remember the poster. Like I said, I can't. Oh, remember it's a good poster. It. It's a good poster. It's a uh, the Criterion Collection. If if you if you're aware of that, they did a uh, like a uh, a really nice Blu-ray special feature set that is worth a blind buy if you like weird horror movies. If you don't like weird horror movies. You might not enjoy it, but if you do, it's essential. All right. So the final two questions. Um, what are your advice to anyone who wants to start their own podcast? And it doesn't have to focus on comics. You know, yeah. Okay. I would say just do it. Mm-hmm. The, the, like, the great thing about the internet nowadays is that the bar for access is so low. Like, literally, you can do it with your phone. You know, like the very first episode of In the Mouth of Dorkness podcast, the podcast, you know, that we took to Sundance Film Festival um, was recorded on an iPhone with a washcloth over it. (laughs) So even like if you're interested in podcasting, just do it. And then if you go like, "Ah, you know, I don't like this format or I don't like this show, you can always change what you do later. Yeah. You know, you can always, you know. Your first, your first podcast doesn't have to be the, the greatness that is yeah. comic book couples counseling. Podcasting is like any creative endeavor. Very humble, Lisa. It's like any creative endeavor. Like the first episodes you do, the first podcast you do is not going to be great. It's, gonna, it's a work in progress. So embrace that. The only thing I would add to what Lisa said is that once you launch it, get your friends involved. Get them to promote your podcast. Find other podcasters who are working in the same field or maybe not even in the same field and become friends with them. See what they're doing. Share each other's stuff. But I think it's also important that you have a focus Mm, and that you present that focus and it's easy to sell in a sentence or two and that separates you from what other podcasters are doing. Yes. But just do it. Yeah, yeah, just do it. And if you can't do what I just said, just do it and then figure out what your podcast is as you're doing it because that's what we did. Yeah, like people's like when somebody, when you're a child and you want to draw, you just take a crayon out and you just start drawing. And I yeah. think that as adults, like we feel so reticent to start anything because we think like, well, it's not going to be great, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course it's, it's not going to be great. Try to be, just find that inner child who wants to try something new and just go for it. Yeah. I mean, you have a, like, if you have a phone, you have a memo app uh-huh. and you can make a podcast with that phone right now. You don't need a board. You don't need even garage band. You, you just have a phone and then you could hook that up to the internet somehow and just upload whatever you got. Yeah. 
make a podcast. Where do you guys see yourself um, for your podcast and social media? Um, let's say um, five years from now. I mean, I, like for me, I just want to still be doing it. Yeah. My only <laughs> aspiration is to have more time to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like it would be nice if we could find more time to do the podcast. My hope is that we are continuing to do it, that we're still talking to really cool people, uh, that people are still listening to our show. We, we've also created a really wonderful, fun community around our podcast. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we have a Patreon where we have a Slack channel where we get to just talk comics with our fellow nerd buddies and or it whatever. is literally the best <laughs> yeah there's a lot of or whatever sometimes yeah. it's just us showing each other pictures of our pets and it's the best <laughs> yeah so just to be just to, i just want to keep doing it uh -huh. and maybe we can get steven Bissett back on the show because i want to talk about that comic tyrant yeah yeah we do <laughs> all right now i'm going to the fun questions so what are you guys on um, what comics are you guys reading today well, today um, we interviewed Carl Stevens, and he has a really wonderful independent series. Well, now it's with Chronicle Books, but it's about Penny, his cat. And it's literally, it starts as just the inner workings of a, an, a house cat's mind. But mm -hmm. within, like, I would say a third of the book, the world really opens up. It gets weird. It gets really weird. And I love it so much. And so, and in our interview today, we discovered that he has a second volume, Penny's Story Continues, and begins to integrate their second cat, Pepper. And I could not be more excited. The art is, he's an amazing artist and painter. So if you like, so it's like if Calvin and Hobbes and a house cat had a baby. And then it was painted extremely well. It's, I mean, the, uh, like, it's a real interesting, feel-good, beautiful yeah, comic. Comes I, out I really like it. May 4th. So while so you're celebrating was, Star Wars, read Penny. And that was literally <laughs> what I was reading today, and I was having the best time. And we've been reading a lot of Judge Dredd. Yeah, we've been reading a lot of Judge Dredd. I <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, like the polar opposite of Penny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like today, I, I, I've been reading a lot of Judge Dredd, a lot of Rob Williams' Judge Dredd, a lot of John Wagner's Judge Dredd. But like right now, like the comic I'm most excited about in like single issues, mm -hmm. and it's, it's only got two issues out, is from Laura Samney and oh, Chris Samney, yes. uh, Jonna and the Impossible Monsters. Mm -hmm, yes. And I love that series. Or actually, it only has one issue out, but we've read the first two issues. Mm -hmm. And like, I think Chris Samney is one of the best artists working today. He also does Firepower with Robert Kirkman. And Which I'm we love. Really enjoying that as well. But Jonna, Jonna feels like like a like an 80s like a goonies movie meets mad max like it, it, it it's kind of like sibling it's like a story about siblinghood but in like it has like a fantasy adventure monsters apocalypse stuff it, it just yeah yeah I, I i love it so much and because lisa and i are a creative couple it's great to see laura and chris samney working together on a title as well and uh I would love to get them on the podcast. Yeah. Let's, let's put that out in the world. <laughs> um, let's see. 
Um, how big is your comic book collection, original art, action figures, your collection overall? It's so, hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify. I know there are collectors that have apps and count and, and can tell you exactly how many issues we have. Um, you know, one of the weird things is that I have, you know, 20 long boxes in my parents' house still. That's good <laughs> enough. I mean, you know. <laughs> so, and my parents are, I mean, you've heard this podcast. They're very loving and, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, um, they, they supply my addiction. They don't say no. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. Um, they spoil you. Rock they spoil it. me. There you go. So <laughs> they keep my comics. And then like in this apartment, we have long boxes, uh-huh. spinner racks, shelves and like, shelves. Like literally every wall of our apartment is books. Every shelf that we have is completely full. And we have stacks of of uh, trades and hardcovers literally on the floor. What I'm most... what. The collection I'm most excited about right now is our commissions. Yeah, and we've only just started doing that this year. And we've got, you know, what, five pieces. We have that Stan Sakai that Lisa mentioned, the Ramona Freyden, uh, and a couple Drew Mosses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's very, very nice to have some original pieces in the apartment now. Um, do you guys want to give a shout-out to your local comic shop? I would love to. We, we have lots of great comic book shops in the area. Uh, the shop that I've been going to for the last 20 years is Big Planet Comics in Vienna, Virginia. Uh, uh, it's at Big Planet Comics, or bigplanetcomics.com. You can find them. And um, they're, you know, they're all, they have multiple stores in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. Uh, the Vienna shop in particular is a, one of their smaller ones. It's, it's, it feels very intimate and comfy. And it's been shut down for the pandemic. They're only doing curbside. Uh-huh. And I hate not being able to go into the shop. But at the same time, Jared and Kevin and the gang there, like, they know my tastes. I call them up. They make recommendations. They say, like, hey, have you tried out this manga? Oh, you should pick up this new silver coin comic. I think it's really up your alley. And then I say, yeah, I trust you. They put it into my box and I pick it up on the doorstep and it's really kind of wonderful. We're excited. So we both have gotten our first vaccination. Yep. And our first stop after we are fully vaccinated and we both get haircuts because we desperately need haircuts is um, we're going to drive out to Annapolis where there is Third Eye Comics, which is a huge uh-huh. comic book store uh-huh. um, where uh, what, what we love most about them is they have a huge trades collection uh-huh. that um, uh, are all, always cover price. Yeah, always cover price. And you would be shocked what you're able to find. I there. mean, I got all Out the Usagi Yojimbo saga books from them at cover price at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will always be grateful for them. And they have a really excellent hands on staff that are super excited to talk to everyone and recommend whatever their little niche passion is. So it's really, it's a really welcoming environment. That is pretty cool. And then when you guys are fully vaccinated, please, I, you guys will post pictures when you guys go to Third Eye Comics, right? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. All right. Um, have you guys visit Hawaii? 
Yeah, I actually have family in Hawaii. Oh. Um, yeah, that's actually where my parents met. Oh. <laughs> um, my dad was a Marine and my mom was actually a nurse. And I um, texted her before we started recording to see if you guys work at the same hospital. But then, of course, I had to go on to airplane mode. Let's see if she got back to me. Um, she didn't. But um, <laughs> my mom and her family moved to Oahu when she was in high school. And uh -huh. um, she is actually the seventh of nine. Okay. So a lot of her, a few of her siblings still live on Oahu. And so I've been to Hawaii twice. Mm -hmm. um, generally, when we meet with her side of the family, we meet in Las Vegas because oh, yeah. it's, it's halfway mm -hmm. between uh, Virginia and Hawaii, as halfway as you can get. Mm -hmm. And also, my aunties like to gamble. <laughs> um, but I've been to Hawaii twice, once when I was two and once when I was 12. So it's been a while. Yeah. And um, going to Hawaii for me, was not luau's it's mostly just sitting with relatives <laughs> and going to the beach it was very fun and i i want to go back yeah and my my dad uh, but i want to do the tourist stuff i've never I done to, all of the tourist, all the tourist stuff. stuff my dad was navy uh and i went there when he was stationed out there for six months and i was five so i really only remember the navy base uh -huh. if i'm going to be honest but i've always wanted to get back oh okay um well when everything is safe and everything that i mean that's what we want to do we we generally want to do it and like we want to do the family stuff because that's important yes it is but we also want to break away from the family stuff well, yeah. and we want to go to we want to go to conventions we want to go to your <laughs> comic book conventions. correct yes. yes and i'm gonna say because our conventions down here we do you know um there is the amazing comic con there is the comic con honolulu um, they do bring, you know, um, Amazing Comic Con is the one more, for me, they bring the more uh, current comic book stars down. They'll, mm. they'll probably bring down some of the, um, the um, legendary creators, some of them. Um, I don't know when they'll start that up again. And then Comic Con Honolulu is more in August, and they bring more of the um, legendary creators down. The good thing about the conventions is, and I told you in, before, the, um, before we started, was is, you know, it's not going to be crowded as Baltimore Comic Con. You're going to walk in there. You're going to, you have room to walk around. You know, you're going to be able to, you know, if you guys, seriously, if you guys want to interview a creator, you know, just tell them, hey, can we do an interview with you? And they'll probably say, well, can you come back tomorrow? We'll do it right here. And you have so time cool. to do that. Yeah. 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 There's no that, that, that's appealing to me. There's no crazy long line. Trust me. You know. Um, let's see. Um, what is your guys' favorite takeout place where you guys live? So our local, local comic book store is in Vienna and there's a lot of really cool, it's kind of like a little hip enclave in Northern Virginia. So right across, well, almost right across the street, there is Cafe Amori, which is a really cool independent coffee shop. And then one of our favorite date places is there's a Sushi Yama there. Sushi Yoshi. Sushi Yoshi. Sorry. There's also a Sushi Yama, but it's in another place. Um, there's Sushi Yoshi at where it's, uh, it's always, well, before the pandemic, it was always packed. Yeah. And it's a tiny, tiny little uh, sushi shop. And uh, like, it's the, it, for my money, it's the best sushi in the DC area. Yeah. It's so good. 
And then there's also that pasty shop. Yeah, there's a British pasty shop. Like I mentioned, my mom's English. And so uh, getting a, um, a, a pasty is, it's, it's, a, it's an event because so few shops make good ones. And this one makes an, an exceptional one. Uh, I like their cheese and onion. All right. Um, let's see. Do you guys want to promote your um, social um, media platforms again? Yes, of course we do. Uh, I, again, Comic Book Couples Counseling, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCCCast. Podcast. Podcast. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I messed it up. Uh, my own social media is at mouthdork, um, which always raises an eyebrow, but it's because of in the mouth of dorkness. <laughs> so it's at mouthdork. And then uh, Lisa, where can they find you? Um, at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, you can see I, I do a little doodling. I do like to sketch. It it happens maybe once every six six I'm, to nine months. I really love Lisa's <laughs> sketches, and I want people to encourage her to do more. Uh, so if you see those sketches on, on Instagram. her Instagram, please send her some likes and words loves, of affirmation. Words of affirmation. I want more of them. Any last words to our listeners, guys? I mean, I one. Jason, thank you so much for having us come onto this podcast and chat uh, and just celebrate comics. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like I love your passion for the medium, and you know you were talking about how we take these photos of our walks in the woods and whatnot in the Virginia area, and the reason we started posting those this photos is a thousand percent true is you. So you, Jason, in your social media would post photos of Hawaii. And Lisa and I were joking one day. We were like, what are we going to take photos of? Like our concrete shopping center across the street. And we needed to do something because we were in our apartments and going crazy in 2020. And we, we started going out on walks. And we're like, oh, well, it's spring now. We can do what Jason does. And we started taking photos of flowers in our walks. And that is literally because of you yes, and you alone. Yes. I, 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 thank you very much. I, because I kept thinking you guys had done that for the long. I kept thinking you no. guys were that. No. Like, like to me, what, what was great about those posts is it showed that you had such a love for your community and your environment. And Lisa and I have that love for our area too, but we hadn't really like we did. We never thought about it as beautiful. As beautiful, right? And so when we went out, and then we we're like, well, we have to find some beautiful things in this concrete jungle that we live in, and so that's what we did. Like, uh, like I said. Uh just, you know, just thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean like this, like talking to you is like the greatest outcome of Twitter. Cause that like Twitter is this place where um, you want to connect with cool, like-minded people and just to have the opportunity to speak to someone um, that we met through one of these social medias is just so special. And so we really appreciate it. No, but thank you very much. And, and like, and thank you very much guys for following me, you know, because oh. it, you know, and, you know, I listened to the podcast. That's where I found you guys, you know, and just to hear your guys again, you know, the passion, the positive energy, that, that's why I was kind of going, you know, I want to reach out to you guys to, for you to guys to promote your podcast, promote your social media, to share to everyone else, 
you know, to check out your podcast. If not, check out your media sites, your, your social media sites, you know. I, I mean, I appreciate it. I really, really do. And I hope that the people listening do uh, join us over at Comic Book Couples Counseling. Give our shows a, a listen. And if you do, uh, let us know what you think and uh, like what couples you would like us to cover. There are so many rad comic book couples out there in the wide world of comics. And we don't just cover x-men and 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 justice league members like we said we do usagi ojimbo we're gonna delve into love and rockets in the future hopefully and i do think for those of you who are listening and you're in a couple where your partner might not necessarily be into comics i think that comic book couples counseling can be something yeah to bring someone over to the comic book narrative because really if there's one thing i want I've learned about comics is that there is one for literally every person Yes, that it's not just for dudes who are into spandex. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there is something for you. Comics are like movies or books, right? There are multiple genres. There's multiple flavors. Go yeah. find them. All right. On that note, guys, I'm gonna. I better let you guys go because it's almost nine thirty your time. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, you know, thank you very much for your time. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Aloha. That was my interview with Brad and Lisa Gullickson from the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. It was so awesome to talk to Brad and Lisa about everything from comics, Star Trek, movies, and the monkeys. Basically, it was so cool to talk to them about all the hobbies that we love. Now, Lisa, I used to watch the Monkees reruns. And that show, it was just good, clean fun. Now, Brad and Lisa spoke about their interview with artist Stephen Bassett. To be upfront, I've never read Alan Moore's and Bassett's Swamp Thing run. You know, but after talking to Brad and Lisa, I want to check out their past episodes, episodes 34 and 35, where they talk about the more Bassett Swamp Thing run. And after that, I want to you know check out their interview with Stephen Bassett, and that is episode 59. After I listen to those episodes, you know, I want to then pick up the first trade of this groundbreaking series from Dragon's Lairs in Hawaii. Now, if you get a chance, please check out new episodes of the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I want to say Mahalo, thank you in Hawaiian, to a couple of people who made this episode possible. First off, I want to thank Brad and Lisa for their time and giving me the opportunity to interview them. Brad and Lisa, it was so cool talking to you guys. It really was. Again, thank you very much. I also want to thank Drew, the Comics for Fun and Profit co-host, for letting me contribute to his podcast and for doing all the heavy lifting behind the scenes in putting this episode together. So Drew, thank you very much. Now, if you are a new listener to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast, please check out their weekly episodes that comes out every Saturday. My Ohioan brothers, Drew and Kyle, do spec picks of new releases that comes out every Tuesday and Wednesday. And finally, I want to thank you, the listeners, for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha.